Welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup with me, Gareth Hanna, to discuss, yep, you guessed it, another bonus point win. All right, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hey. And Adam McHenry. Hello, Adam. Hello. So, of course, there's international duty still to look through as well, and a bit more Ulster representation this time, thank goodness, in the Ireland team. We've got chat around a rumoured departure for Marcel Kutsia, and a whole lot of that chat will be shaped once again by you, the listener, with your classy crop of questions. Thank you once again for those. We'll begin with Ulster's 43-14 win over Edinburgh. Seven tries, three for John Andrew, two for Cooney, one for Stuart Moore, one for Jordy Murphy. Johnny, that was uh, pretty much back to, to form after the struggle against Scarlets, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess. Like, there was uh, the ropey third quarter, as it's uh, come to be known, was uh, was ever. <laughs> should be the name of the podcast. We should change the yeah. name. Well, we tend to be a, a ruby three thirds, but anyway, um, <laughs> like at nineteen fourteen, it was a game, a game that didn't look like it was going to be. But I think, as we said with the Scarlets, like you know, you're splitting hairs to a degree because you are talking about having one with a bonus point, and in this instance, one by a considerable margin on a bonus point. But I suppose if you're looking for perfection, like Tom McFarland will be, it wasn't. It wasn't eighty minutes again, and really through. I suppose the 10 minutes either side of half time let Edinburgh back into a game that they shouldn't have been in. It was interesting before we really get into Ulster's performance, uh, Richard Cockrell's assessment of um, uh, just Edinburgh's chances and I suppose an indictment of the, the Pro 14 as well. Tell us a little bit about what, what he had to say about the whole thing. Well, this has been happening with things sort of increasing frequency. Um with coaches before the game, Richard Cockrell said, you know, he'd love to be in Ulster position of only having six players away with Ireland. And he's got 13 with Scotland, even though Scotland didn't have a game at the weekend. And Gregor Townsend has had a big Scotland squad and hasn't released players whenever there's arguably been an opportunity to do so, which has clearly irked Richard Cockrell through these last seven weeks. And he's sort of made reference to it a few times. And then I think, in today's Scottish papers, there's a story with Cockrell saying that they're never going to be able, you know, the Pro 14 titles be on them because of the gap between the sides, the disparities between the, the resources available to the, the Irish sides and everybody else is too big. Um, John Melville, um, whenever Cardiff played Leinster, I think he got a wee bit of criticism for putting a positive spin on such a heavy defeat and essentially said the same thing of, you know, the difference in the resources between these two teams means that we can't, we can't compare ourselves to Lancer. It's like, I suppose it's interesting to think about in terms of, say, the Premier League, for example, where there is such a spread of resources, but people still find it engrossing or engaging. Maybe that's to do with relegation. Maybe that's to do with the fact that the vast majority of people support the teams with the resources anyway. I don't know. To think about, I suppose, teams in a league that, even good teams, teams where they were in the semi-final last year saying they're never going to be able to win the league is a fairly damning indictment on a competition that's um, taken a bit of a battering over the last three months, I think, personally. Yeah. I think you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Johnny. If you think about the Premier League, the teams down at the bottom, you can have a, a high at the end of a season if you manage to avoid relegation. If you're at the bottom of your conference in the Pro 14, you're you're not battling for anything. And chances are you haven't been battling for anything for a while. And if you feel like you can't win a competition where you're never going to drop down into another competition where you could potentially be promoted back up or 
you know, you're you're never going to be in with a realistic chance of winning the title, then what, what's really the point in you being in that league? Because <laughs> there there's no positive at the top end and there's no positive down at the bottom end of avoiding relegation. I, I think it's, it's a fair point if you feel like you're just going to be stuck in the middle the entire time. You know, all you're doing is ticking over the seasons. I, I, w- I wouldn't completely agree that Edinburgh are never going to win the Pro 14. You know, there there are ways and means that teams can win the league. You know, we've seen the Ospreys win the league. We've seen Scarlets win the league. You know, it's it's not like this is a competition where only Irish teams can win it. I'll, I'll, I'll completely... Leinster can win it, never mind. Well, Irish. sorry, yes, only, only Leinster. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I'll completely agree. You know, the Irish teams do definitely have an advantage in terms of player pool, in terms of finances. That's undeniable. But at the same time, other teams have proven that you can put together a winning formula. Yeah. The problem is too cold at the minute because of COVID. So it's like because of the elongated international window, we're getting more international rugby than we should be getting, that anybody needs to be getting. Cheaper's just been dire. So you're playing more games without your international players, which creates a disparity at the best of times in the Pro 14. So now you're having that for longer and the disparity between teams, international players and their non-international players is bigger because of the slashed budgets. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect storm in a lot of ways, but it's not one that's going to go away either because teams aren't suddenly going to get this money back and pump it back in. Like teams are in financial crisis are still having to weather these storms. Well, look, it's it's an ongoing issue that I'm sure that the Pro 14 will be looking at uh, on down the line. Although I suppose even if South African teams do come in, that doesn't really help Edinburgh's problem. It helps Pro 14's problem in terms of making it more competitive, but it doesn't help the the also runs, uh, if that's not too disparaging a term. Uh, it doesn't help their case. But anyhow, we will we'll press on to Ulster's um, performance and some of your listener questions. Kyle Smith asks, Adam, do you think John Andrew gets enough credit? It seems like since he's usually in support of other players, he doesn't get very much attention. He certainly found a way around that by scoring three tries. Good way to get attention. I, th- I think Jim <laughs> Hamilton was a little bit premature with naming his man of the match because it's very hard not to give it to a guy who scores a hat trick. But yeah, look, John Andrew is definitely taking this game to another level. And I think this is exactly what Dan McFarland was looking for whenever he started sort of bringing a bit more rotation this year where he wanted guys to be on their toes. He wanted guys to be raising their level in training in order to prove that they deserve to be starting at the weekend. And Andrew has been very upfront and he said, you know, he's changed his mindset this season, looking at it more as enjoying the time that he gets on the pitch rather than worrying about whether he's going to be named in the team or worrying about his performance or anything like that. And yeah, he he really is good uh, this season. And even, you know, away from the malls, because he's obviously been so good at taking the malls over the line and, um, you can say a lot about how much he's profiting from that, but he's been putting in some really good work around the pitch as well. He's become a lot more prominent. You know, get, getting a few minutes off the bench at the end of games, there's limited time to impress in. But you know, he's he's now I think he's had three consecutive starts now, possibly even four, and he's noticeable around the pitch, which is the big thing. You know, going down the wing for the first try uh, at Murrayfield on, on Monday night and putting the pass back inside. He's getting some real good carries in. He's getting some real good hits in as well. So I think he's definitely getting the credit he deserves this season. I think probably the biggest compliment you can give him is he's given Dan a serious question as to who starts against Toulouse. I still think it'll be Rob Herring. I still think Herring will come back and go straight back in. But Andrew has certainly you know, put himself in the mix to start. It's not just clear-cut 
it's robbed to start against Toulouse. So, Jonathan, just moving on to our next question, and the man who did get man of the match, Sam Carter, he doesn't ask the question. He is the subject of the question, which comes from Christopher Toole. He asked, do you think it was Sam's best performance in the Munster shirt? Yes, it was, I thought. This was going to be one of my talking points early enough in the game, and I thought it was going to be like relatively niche, so I'd get away with it. You know, you have to have something a little bit different for these talking points. And then Jim Hamilton wanted to give him out of the match, which kind of ruined it for me, but there we are. These are your talking points, which are behind the paywall on the Belfast Telegraph website, which uh, is uh, among much content worth fan for. Forever a company man, Gareth. Um, I've never been accused of that before. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I thought like he just, I thought he just showed up a lot better, especially in that sort of first half hour in during the periods when Edinburgh had a good bit of ball. I thought he was very active. Like you saw him, I thought getting up, reloading into the line very quickly. I thought um, you saw a bit more of the sort of um, physicality. I think that you expect from him, like he's had a few sort of, shall we say, high-profile moments. Thinking back to the Treviso game, the Leinster game maybe as well, where that's looked to be a bit lacking. Um, I don't know, maybe favouring the shoulder a bit when he was just working his way back or something. Um, but that to me looked like the player that also probably thought that they were getting, um, who, thanks to having his first season essentially written off through that injury and then the pandemic, um, that we probably hadn't seen a lot of, and then you've got I suppose the sort of added bonus of the of the gallop through the middle, um, gazelle like through uh, through the midfield to set up uh, John Kinney's second try, but. I think it's it's important and it's timely. Obviously, we've had the Treadwell suspension since we last did our podcast. And, you know, Henderson coming back from Ireland, going up against Toulouse and Gloucester. So to have Henderson and um, Carter, say, in the second row, or Al, Al O'Connor maybe coming off the bench, you're going to be very happy with that trio if you get the Carter that you got on uh, on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fingers crossed that that will last. Adam, let's talk a little bit about which listener question to go for. Let's go for Donalds on the uh, the line-out model, of course, that <clears throat> contributed to four tries uh, of the seven during the game. Donald uh, says that Pro 14 teams, for, teams rightly fear Ulster's line-out model. The early shoves seem to be their way of combating it. Pointing this out to referees must have been a tactic alongside keeping the jumper in the air a fraction longer to win penalties. Do you think that will be as effective against Gloucester and Toulouse, he asks? No. And I would say that Gloucester and Toulouse definitely have more physical packs than what Ulster have faced so far. Now, that's not to say that the Mall won't be a weapon at all, because Ulster have definitely upped their physicality. And, you know, the, the Mall is something that can translate across games. It's not something that will necessarily work one week and won't work the next week. So Ulster will still have a strong wall regardless of how it goes against Toulouse and Gloucester. But I don't think you'll see it going over quite as easily as it has in recent weeks in the Champions Cup games, purely because they're coming up against more savvy sides uh, who will have their internationals back and will have a better cohesive unit that will contest them all a lot better than what the likes of Edinburgh and Zebra and uh, Scarlets have in previous weeks. You know, I, I tried asking Dan on Monday night in post-match, you know, how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it a threat every week? Because you've got to give credit to Ulster. You know, teams know that Ulster are going to use them all a lot. 
like that that's just how they get a lot of their uh, a lot of their points dan used the phrase thing if if you've got a hammer that's making damage or creating damage you know why would you stop using it so you know teams know that ulster are going to turn to it but every week it is still a massive threat and that's that's not all down to subpar opposition you know ulster still have to get their basics right at the line out they've still got to get their drive going well and they're doing it week on week and it's something that they've worked really hard on so i don't foresee it being a being completely blunt against Toulouse and gloucester i would just say that you know gloucester have you know one of those typically english packs that just love to get into a dogfight and Toulouse have umpteen French internationals in there who you know are going to be big guys. And then you throw in the likes of Charlie Famuina, Yusefa Takori in there as well, Jerome Kaino. Like we know how good their mall defense was whenever Ulster faced them, you know, only a few months ago at the Stade Ernest Vallon. So I would say you're not going to see Ulster mauling over for three, four tries a game in Europe. Aaron Sexton and Jonathan. Nathan McLennan wants to know, was his appearance a one-off or can we expect him to feature more regularly? First of all, how did you how did you think he, he did? He obviously came on a lot sooner than he or anybody else would have expected. Yeah, like I mean he did all right. Like he didn't he didn't see much ball and then a few a few bits and pieces, maybe just for those kicks in behind that we've talked about being I suppose difficult to deal with for lots of players, um, lots of more experienced players. And spoken about how Mike Laurie's one person that sort of seems to stand out because he makes it, all those things look so easy. But like it didn't do it didn't do badly by any means at all. And um, for somebody, I guess that's twenty missed essentially their first year in the academy. I think it was interesting to hear Dan McFarland's quotes afterwards, just about um. I suppose the need to temper expectations and you know there's been talk today on Twitter just in reaction to the to that story I suppose about whether it's a case of you know if you're good enough you're old enough back in the youth type of thing or whether there is an aspect of development that is sort of making sure that these players are ready and I think especially in his case because so much so like there was so much more hype than normal surrounding him because of things he could do in athletics to the point where he like we've spoken about this before but to the point where he had more column inches more podcast chat than really any upper sixth rugby <laughs> prospect before him and that is 95 percent of it was from us well no like there were like there was <laughs> there was stuff written about him in national newspapers because of his feats in athletics and because of the i suppose an element of it being, you know, will he choose rugby or athletics, things like that. So I suppose through sevens, then through the injury that he suffered, and even through the fact that, you know, Bangor didn't play that many schools cup games. You know, we're not talking about somebody, you know, of human Laurie's profile who went through the schools cup and played whatever that is, four games a year for three years in a row. His rugby season more often than not was over in sort of February time. You know, he didn't get his Irish under 20s campaign, for example, because of injury and things like that, or then the pandemic. So, while yes, he is 20, and you know, Jacob played for Ireland at 21, Tommy Bow played for Ireland at 20, I think part of it is getting that increased exposure to 15s. I like, I'm not going to say for a minute that I know exactly what Dan's thinking, but as an example, Ethan McElroy started ahead of him 
yeah having not been in the academy last year you know so um i guess to just take that on face value he was the um second cab off the rank in the academy in terms of back three prospects addison hopefully coming back at some stage rob balakoon coming back and jacob stockdale coming back in for ulster's next game you know rob little um really sort of putting a run together in a way that he hasn't before hopefully that injury is not too serious because he's had he's had enough of them um to deal with over his career so there's a lot of competition there in the back three again without putting words in Dan McFarlane's mouth just going off the selection that probably makes him at the minute as a 20 year old who's played 70 minutes fifth or sixth choice wing yeah. doesn't mean that he's not going to be first choice wing in two years time but that's where he is at the minute yeah, he's got Robert Balakoon to get past before he, he gets to that stage, which uh, is unlikely for anyone. Not must one... be very excited at the prospect of Rob Balakoon <laughs> coming back anytime soon. Absolutely. Is it anytime soon? Do we know? Um, apparently he is back doing like some level of training. So okay. I don't think that means it's going to be soon, but probably means that he's what, four months post-injury at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So back running, I guess. Pro- probably if, if he gets back during the Six Nations, then the, or well, w- whatever international rugby they'll be, yeah, this next side or the other side of the new year, I think that'll be good. But if, if he comes back any earlier than that, it's a bonus, yeah. Well, you're uh, distracting me with the mention of Robert Balakoon. What we uh, we are going to do now is hear from Dan McFarland uh, of what he had to say about Aaron Sexton's performance and about managing uh, the expectations of um, fans and everyone else connected with Ulster Rugby. The attention that Aaron was getting in school is because he, he runs 110.43. The, the attention isn't there because he's um, a brilliant rugby player. Aaron is a good rugby player, but there are lots of good rugby players around. He has a, a, a physical attribute that, that if he can turn um, being a good rugby player into uh, you know, a good rugby player professional level, then his speed is, is, is going to add an extra dimension. Uh, he hasn't actually been with us for, for that long and he's a really good learner. Well, another player then that was uh, stealing a few headlines over the weekend was one Bradley Roberts, uh, the rainy old boys hooker who came in um, sort of from nowhere to anybody that, uh, that hadn't known that he was in training for Ulster. It was a bit of a, a bolt from the blue. He came in and got, uh, what was it, seven or eight minutes on the pitch. Stephen Kirkpatrick asks uh, Bradley Matrina with the Ulster squad, he asked, do Ulster have players from the All-Ireland League come in to train often? And who would be the standout players with, with Ulster clubs in the All-Ireland League currently? So, well, first of all, we should probably say, how do you think Bradley Roberts did? For seven minutes, he did really well. Um, he was prominent. <laughs> yeah, won a turnover. Uh, almost got over the line in those drives towards the end. Like I, I think the Ulster fan base on Twitter would have exploded if he had scored. Um, I think we would have exploded if he had scored. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like for someone who I don't think a lot of us had heard of in terms of a, a senior capacity two weeks ago, 
he was really good whenever he came on, you know, really energetic, really wanted to make an impact. And as I said, he, he won a turnover and he was right involved with those drives at the line towards the end. Um, so I, I don't think they could have really asked for much more from him, to be perfectly honest. And um, just sort of give, give a bit of background, you know, he, he was called in because there were injuries to Tom Stewart and James McCormick in the academy. And obviously Rob Herring is away with Ireland. So that left Ulster with two senior hookers so they needed someone to come in and uh, sort of fill that slot as the third hooker and then he gets the call to be on the bench against Edinburgh and you know what it, it's more proof that if you put the work in at club level you know you you could get noticed you know Dan was saying that they were told about him they saw a YouTube compilation of his uh, of his best moments and they decided to call him in and I, I'd say you would have been sitting in the in the locker room afterwards thinking there's not much more I could have done besides actually getting over the line at the end there to to put my hand up there. So, like, I'm I'm not saying he's going to be the next Rory Best or anything like that, but from from that perspective, yeah, that it was a very promising cameo, and it'll certainly have convinced Dan that you know he should stick around in training for a few more weeks at least. I'm sure. Okay, so does this happen often in COVID times or uh, normal times that all Ireland League players will be drafted in for a bit of training? No, like Adam said there, you know, they've got four hookers, sorry, five hookers on the books. Um, you wouldn't often need a sixth one, but as Dan McFarlane said, in times of COVID, you can't take the risk because somebody or, you know, somebody could have to pull out early on uh, or close to the kickoff in a game week. You have to have somebody to replace them. Tom Stewart's injured. Um, McCormick's injured those are the two guys in the academy Rob's away with Ireland so it's a fairly unique set of circumstances I suppose and you know in terms of specialised positions I think the last time we saw this was maybe I don't know four or five years ago and they were running low on tight heads at one point Um, but by and large your senior squad and your academy squad should mean that you have all these things covered it's just we're living in different times, I suppose. It is a boost, though, for anybody playing in the league who might sort of think, you know, if I can play well, you never know, I might get noticed here. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, it's, it's class for the league because um, I think I think I'm right in saying that he played some form of underage rugby for the Sharks, you know, in their sort of wide system, if you like. And then was coming over here and it was the guys at Rainey that first alerted Ulster to him the fact that he was um, in their opinion better than the level that he was playing at I think he's mid-20s so so yeah um, like for clubs to have done that I suppose is indicative of the fact that the pathway is still there Ulster still I suppose believe in the pathway you can see that from Dan Soper going from school and club coach to skills coach and looking like he has a long future as a pro coach you know just before we discuss a little bit, we'll look into the Champions Cup games at length next week. There are a few questions uh, just to tease into that this week. But before we get to that, reasonably concerning rumours flying about at the end of last week that Marcel Katsia might be heading off to South Africa. Mark Dempsey asks, do we think they have any foundation? Obviously, he points out, as probably nobody will disagree with, whilst good players are always catching the eye of other teams, a team without Marcel would be severely weakened. Do we know anything about these rumours? I know you asked Dan about it the other day, Jonathan, even if he didn't have an awful lot to say in return. Yeah, he said that he hadn't seen the quotes from Jake White. So I suppose to look at it in that regard, I suppose it's not 
rumors like Jake White is on record saying that there have been conversations between or in the Bulls boardroom about trying to get Marcel back. The interesting part of his quote, if you like, was the fact that he said, you know, you can't talk to players while they're in contract. But I talk to Marcel all the time about different things, other things. <laughs> um, so, I, I, yeah, I'd asked Dan in the post-match what he thought of, I suppose, the contents of the quotes, as well as the fact that the quotes were out there from a fellow coach about one of his players. But he said they hadn't seen them, but said that Marcel is an Ulster player contracted to Ulster. Until so, yeah, it's it's like the question says. Obviously, a player like Marcel is going to get interest in the same way that when his contract was up for renewal last time, it, there was plenty of interest from France. I would probably say don't get too concerned about that uh, yet, or else you'll you'll miss enjoying Marcel while he is here. Uh, he's not going to be here forever. We don't have any information as to when he may or may not leave. But let's just enjoy enjoy him while we can at Ulster. Our other questions then, we should probably do uh, another sort of contract style question now as that links in. So A. Mahaffey asks, Adam, given the finances uh, have been hammered so much by COVID, are there any senior players or NIQs whose contracts are up at the end of the season and who haven't started negotiations yet? If you can just loosen the scroll there of uh, names that you're <laughs> reading. It's a long list. First things first. There are no contract negotiations going on at the moment. And uh, David Nisifora said that in his uh, his media briefing earlier this week, you know, because of the situation, because of, you know, how COVID has hit Irish rugby and the losses that they're taking and each of the individual provinces are taking from not having fans in the stands and sponsorship deals having to be sort of reduced. The main thing that they're trying to do is keep their heads above water before they start thinking about, well, how many players are we going to be able to retain for next season? Ulster, the, I, I don't have contract lists for the other provinces, but you know, Ulster have got a lot of business that they've got to do for next season. Um, I think 90, in the region of 90 players throughout the four provinces who are out of contract. Yeah, so you know, the, there are a lot of players who are going to be sitting here for a while waiting on their futures, which is so strange because you know we're what we're recording this on the second of December. In a normal year, there's a good chance that a lot of Ulster's business would have been done by now, if not all. So this is such a weird situation of players sitting here in December not knowing what's out there for them next season if they'll be coming back or if they'll need to go and find a new deal with a new team. So. But yeah, like the Ulster have, I think it's close to twenty players out of contract, and you know some some of the notable ones, you know Eric O'Sullivan, John Andrew, Rob Herring, uh, Gareth Milosinovic, Tom O'Toole, uh, all of their locks. Interestingly, all of their second rows are out of contract at the end of this season. Nick Timoney, Albie Matthewson's only on a one-year deal. Uh, Michael Lowry, Bill Johnson, Ian Madigan, Luke Marshall. Craig Gilroy, Matt Faddis, Robert Balakoon, Louis Ludic, all out of contract at the end of the season. There, there's a few more there as well uh, coming up to the end of their contract. So <laughs> there's a lot of business to be done and very likely they're going to have to do it in a very short space of time. Now, I have no doubt that Ulster have had these conversations already. I, I would be very surprised if Bryn Cunningham hadn't sat down and sort of looked at that list and said, you know, in a normal year, here's probably who we would be retaining and who we would be moving on from. That's that's going to have to be changed pretty much every week as the situation unfolds and as they work out what kind of finances they're working with next year. But you got to feel for the players in this. 
Like you've really got to feel for the players who are, you know, sitting there not sure. There are a few guys on that list that you'd say Ulster will still be retaining, you know, even in this situation, um, or they will be making a very hard effort to retain in this situation. But there are guys who will be sitting there thinking, I may have a week to find a job for next season or a very short space of time. So, you know, well, that's assuming the players do wait. Well, yeah, a good point. Yeah, sorry. Yes, we should say, you know, Irish sides are waiting to do their contract business. Other countries aren't. You look at, you know, the situation with Healy and Munster, where he's not been offered a contract in Ireland because nobody is negotiating contracts, but he has been offered a contract by Glasgow. So that'll happen. Like, let's say hypothetically, somebody offers Ian Henderson a contract, a two-year contract now, and he's sat there being like, all right, well, I've got this on the table. I've got a family, two kids to provide for. I have this contract offer on the table and I don't have one to stay with Ulster. At that stage, he's not really been given a choice of whether he wants to stay with Ulster because he doesn't he doesn't have the option of securing his future with Ulster. Yeah. So like in that, in that instance, could anybody hold it against anyone if they make a decision that secures their long ter- their longer term future? When if you're the likes of Ian Henderson, then your next contract is your big one. Yeah, because you're in the peak of your career, so this is your big contract. The next, t- the next time you come to negotiate a contract, you're going to be faced with fairly or unfairly points about your age. You know, your age will then start to be used against you to offer you less money, if that made sense. Yeah. Not that, like, not that he's going to be, you know, decrepit by any stretch of the imagination, but it will be at that point that people start to say, "Well, you know." Yeah, you are in your thirties now, <laughs> and you've, you've yeah. also you've also got to bear in mind that any contracts handed out, you know, this this season for for next year, are going to be massively reduced because of COVID, and there are teams, you know, in France, potentially in England, definitely in Japan, that are going to offer big bucks still, even in these uh, tough times. So that's got to be a factor as well. Is it? It's going to be a really interesting time. Uh, to see which which players decide that you know they have to they have to move for their own security or yeah. for whatever reason it is certainly going to be interesting and uh, as you say it sort of transcends rugby um uh, it's about people's livelihoods and uh, job security providing for families and all of those those sort of things so as we say we'll discuss the champions cup at length next week just to to tease the idea we'll throw in one question on it uh, this one's from jack fogarty who asks who's going to be a boulder for champions cup games uh, against toulouse and gloucester so this is when the season really starts for ulster will hume and moore continue at center for example any boulders <laughs> what, what are you classing as a bolter? I don't know. Yeah. I like the word to begin with. Is it someone who's going to start that you wouldn't expect to start, or someone who's going to be really good that you wouldn't expect to be really good? Yeah, because the answer to both is Mike Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, I'd expect Mike Lowry to be starting. Well, if Mike Lowry starts, it's a fullback, which means that Ireland's fullback starts somewhere other than fullback. So that's my. Well, yeah, I, I was thinking about this the other day, but. I, I don't know if the IRFU can do well. I, I don't know if even Ulster would want to put him at, at fullback, but I think the way Michael Lowry's been playing, you have to get him in that team somewhere. And the the obvious option is at fullback because you've got Billy Burns at fly half and then Stockdale can go on to the wing. And I know, obviously, Stockdale has been playing mostly at fullback, but I think whenever whenever you take the sum of the whole team, 
I think Ulster are better if you put Lowry at fullback and Stockdale on the wing, especially whenever you've got the likes of Balakoon and Addison uh, who are both out at the moment. What do you think, Johnny? Is Mike Lowry, are you serious? Is he the, the boulder then? Is he the one you're saying will start? He, he's only a boulder under the premise that people might expect Stockdale to come back in a fullback because he's been Ireland's fullback. Uh, but, and, but you do agree that, that makes sense. you do but agree it, will start? If it were me, I would agree with Adam. I put Stockdale yeah. back on the left wing, Larry at fullback, and Rob Little, probably, on the other wing. And to me, that gives you your best... That, that gets you best players on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, fair. An interesting one. And one we will find out about uh, before the game next Friday, the first European game of this season. For now, though, we have still to discuss Ireland. It was a win over Georgia, but it wasn't great, was it, uh, for anyone really um, who enjoys entertainment, I suppose? Um, anyone who savours life in any way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw Kane Tracy put out a tweet um, on Monday, I think it was. It was like trying to big yourself up again to watch that game back. It was <laughs> gif of the Georgian guy slapping himself across the head several times. And I was like, I can totally relate to that, trying to watch this game back. What, what about the, the Ulster players then? Because obviously there were five of them starting. So it was an interest in, in inverted commas game from an Ulster point of view, not uh, that side of things. Billy Burns got his first try. Adam, was there? Uh, well, how do you think he, he did? And how do you think he did his Ireland prospects? I thought he didn't do his Ireland prospects any harm. I mean, it's, it's a tough one because, you know, almost to quote Stuart McCluskey, you know, Whenever you play a team like Georgia, you've always got to put any performance with the asterisks of it was against Georgia. Um, and I thought Georgia fronted up very well. I thought there were a lot of things that they did well. But at the same time, they are still Georgia. You know, this is a team that was nilled in their opening two games. So, but I, I thought Burns did really well. I thought he was very active. He put in some great kicks. Um, he ran the line really well. And, you know, I think, whenever you saw the the dip that Ireland had whenever Ross Byrne came on, and I'm not saying it was all down to Ross Byrne because, you know, Ireland had many issues in that second half beyond just fly half. But whenever Burns went off and Byrne came on, you know, the game did start to struggle. And I, I don't think that's completely uncoincidental. So I think, you know, there were just a lovely few touches. He got the line running really well. Um so I, I certainly think he hasn't done his prospects any harm at all. And it's a real shame that he came off as early as he did. Um, you know, I, I'd love to have seen how he would have done if he got another 20 minutes out of that second half and just to have seen how differently the game might have gone. Yeah, that was certainly the shame. Uh, Stuart McCoskey, Jonathan Adam mentions him and he said before the game that he basically needed to put it be probably the best player in the pitch by a, a significant stretch to really boost his Ireland standing. Uh, Nathan McClanahan asks, with Robbie Henshaw coming back to full training, will that be Stuart back out in the cold again? Has he done enough in this game at all to, to boost his standing in any way with Ireland, or is it just back to the status quo? I don't think he played his way out of it, and I think some people did play them play their way out of it. But like I wrote about this for my piece on Saturday, just sort of taking that idea from McCluskey and expanding it out and looking at the past sort of November internationals against Canada and against USA and um, Fiji. 
And looking through those games and the selections, it doesn't seem like anybody's ever played their way into uh, further selection um, from impressing it or not even from impressing, from just having a good game against these sorts of teams. So even, you know, you take, say, the Canada game as an example, the one that was after the All Blacks. Ireland scored 50-odd points in that game. And it's not enough because the level, the difference in level is so large. I think McCluskey's right, but I also think that Farrell is right in a way not to place any stock in these types of games usually. And then you throw in the fact that the team was rubbish. So that makes it impossibly hard, really, to force your way into a selection for the week after. Yeah. And because of the way that game went, I think the coaches are likely to be more risk-averse in their selection this week because they really have to win this game. Otherwise, their November is going to be seen as a real failure. And you can already sense the mood music surrounding the Ireland team at the minute. You can all, you know, you see things like Johnny Saxon coming out and saying, yeah, we're not doing great, but it's not a new thing that we're not great. We weren't great last year either. You've all just forgotten about that. Or, you know, even things like, say, Shane Horgan questioning the coaching ticket this week that's i suppose i was gonna say it's the first time i've seen it it's not the first time i've seen it but it's the first time i've seen it from somebody who would have a reputation as being level-headed like horgan would so i'd say all of this thrown into the fact that these boys have been basically locked in a hotel for seven weeks i would say the pressure feels quite intense at the minute i wouldn't think that we'll see too many guys included in the team for the weekend on the basis that they did well against georgia I do think there'll be people that we don't see again because they played so badly against Georgia, and I certainly don't think any of the Ulster players are in that bracket. Adam, Jonathan mentions there uh, Johnny Sexton's quotes, which were interesting to say the least. Not only did he say that uh, Ireland went backwards last year, he said that he felt they were progressing in 2020, which I'm sure uh, some people may have a differing opinion on, which he did admit himself. What's yours? Yeah, it's, it's hard to look at those last few performances and say that Ireland are progressing but I suppose there may be a few things you can see behind the scenes that we don't that he can sort of put his finger on and say yeah there's evidence we're progressing I mean I think there's more players now in that playing group that have had a taste of international rugby that's good um, and that would certainly be progression on the pitch certainly in, in games I would disagree I wouldn't say they've progressed yet it's very hard to look at you know almost being shut out by England at Twickenham and then that second half performance against Georgia and say yeah there's there's definite progression there but you know you're you're early in the Andy Farrell era you do have to give him some time to sort of bed in he's he's had a he's had a bit of time now but you've still got to give him a sort of more than just a, a very disrupted international window to get his points across and try and get this team playing as as he wants to i i think saying that there's been progression was maybe not the best choice of words from sexton um i would say there's probably things that he is definitely seeing within Carton House that they are pleased by and that they see a lot of promise in. Um, I, I'm not going to say that they've made progression yet. I think you've definitely, if, if you're looking at it from a long-term perspective, you know, from a, 
this is all geared up to winning the 2023 World Cup, then, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to maybe back the captain and say, you know, he's he's clearly seeing things that we're not. But we all know that the RFU, their model is all about, you know, win every game. And in that, in that spectrum or looking at that, I just can't agree that there's been progression uh, so far. Well, fingers crossed we are looking back at this in 2023 and say, do you know what? He was right. So a lot of faith in us if you think we're still going to be doing this in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sort of halfway there from where we started. Jacob Stockdale, Jonathan, uh, continues at fullback. I think we can probably stop calling it an experiment now, can we? Uh, don't know. We need an adjudication on the, that terminology. But how do you think of his performance? I thought it was pretty good. I thought... Um... The ability to spread the ball to the left, spread the ball to the right. Sorry, my wife just walked in to get her coat. That's why I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at Jacob Stockton's passing. <laughs> uh, so the pass for Keenan, for Keenan's try and the pass for um, McCluskey's non-try, if you like, to me, showed a different side of his skill set than we normally see. I asked him about it today and he sort of said, that it's always been there. He just doesn't really get that much of a chance to show it on the wing. So I thought that was definitely a sort of marked progression. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate, obviously, that the try didn't, uh, or sorry, unfortunate McCluskey's try didn't uh, didn't count because that was actually probably the even better pass of the two. But yeah, I mean, obviously you got the dummied for the for the Georgian try, but um, sort of in one of those no win situations that the fullback finds themselves in. Obviously, if he goes and just hits somebody whether it's the guy with the ball or uh the guy running the trailer on it looks better than um buying the dummy i suppose but you know i don't think it was going to make too much of a difference either way like it's a two-on-one and they're in space like it's the thing, the thing is he, he had billy burns coming back and to and to make the supporting tackle as well so if he covers the pass he thinks burns is there to make the tackle on i'm not even going to try and pronounce his name um but the ball carrier, you know, so I, I think he makes the right call there. I think by trying to go for the intercept stroke tackle the supporting player, I think he's making the right call. And you're just glad to see somebody else's dog uh, featuring in the podcast this week and not Hesky. <laughs> Hello to Jonathan's dog. He's uh, come on screen. Um, My wife's leaving, so he has to get his attention from somewhere. <laughs> he's just right to... Uh, before we go then, uh, a couple of final listener questions that haven't previously been dealt with. First of all, James Frederick asks, when are the remaining Pro 14 uh, fixtures being revealed? Uh, obviously, we don't really know what's happened with the rest of the Pro 14 season, or we, do we know any more yet? I think it, it, it all depends on when the South African sides are going to join. There have been reports over the last couple of days that they could join as early as January, which I think is far, far too soon. I think they're much better trying to get them in from the start of the new season, the start of the 2021-22 season, rather than trying to fast-track them in for half of this season. But if the Pro 14 decided that they wanted to get them in as quickly as possible, then you know they're, they're going to have to rewrite the entire fixture list to get them in you know, and get them all the games played in the first half of 2021, which is going to be a logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, if the South African teams can't join for the second half of the season then it becomes a bit easier because you don't have as many fixtures to fit in. You can uh, keep all the games sort of within the UK and Italy. So 
in in that scenario, teams will probably have their fixture list pretty soon. But it, it all depends on the South African aspect of things. Um, and again, personally, I think it would just be far too much hassle, especially given the situation in the world at the moment, to try and fit these teams in at such short notice. Let them bed in in 2021-22. Don't try and force them in now. Well, time to get another six weeks of fixtures left. So, you know, anything up to five and a half weeks would be good. <laughs> yeah, that would be, uh, yes, would be handy. Um, it'll be interesting to see what to do. Sure, why not bring them in the fixture list and the proof routine is unfair anyway, as we all know. So, hardly matters. <laughs> you get on great with Richard Cockrell. <laughs> Stuart or Watson finally asks, does Alter need more mullets? It seems as if that's the way rugby's trending. It certainly does. What I want to know is, is it ironic? Uh, do they think it looks good? What's the crack? I think it, like it was it was good she started it, wasn't it? I thought like, it was Steph Evans. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to get an adjudication on that. We'll have to go to info and uh, go through the picks and see who got it first. <laughs> I thought um, it was Johnny. What do you call him? That used to play for Ulster. It's forgotten. Oh, Johnny Murphy. Yeah, I thought it was Johnny Murphy. He set the trend. Uh, he was definitely the first one to have his um, dyed bright pink, but <laughs> I. I remember, like, this was at the World Cup, so this was, it must have been before a semi-final game. Yeah, so before semi-final of the World Cup, and I was at an All Blacks press conference, and, like, the majority of the questions to Gucci were about his, uh, were about his mullets. So, like, you know, it's, uh, it's a brand. It should be. Yeah. And, like, who was it also? Was it the Scarlet Ulster were playing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got like they've got some outrageous, outrageous hairstyles. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Steph Evans, I'm, I think, was the first one. Was, did Jack Noel have a mullet at one point as well? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's it's clearly it's clearly started as a backs thing, and now the forwards thinks they can uh, they can adopt it, and it'll, it, it'll soon soon it'll just be a team wide thing. I'm waiting for Dan McFarland to suddenly come in with a toupee mullet or something like that. That, that's when you know it's yeah. gone too far. Gareth, you take the razors to the underneath part of your hair at the minute. You could, uh, I definitely have one. Yeah, I could have regular one. No, not going to happen there. There's a 2,000 word uh, feature in that for you, Jonathan. Some, some down week. You can take that one on, get to the bottom of it. Until then, we'll. Uh, Last down week, like the middle of August. <laughs> well, we look forward to it. <laughs> Uh, that's us for this week though uh, I feel like there was something I needed to say at this stage but I can't remember what it was so if there is I'll just uh, say it next week when we'll be back to look ahead to uh, Ulster's two European games and look back at Ireland's final final finally the final match in the Autumn Nations Cup so from as Jonathan does jazz fans and celebration so, so from Alan McAndrew cheers guys from Jonathan Bradley cheers thank you his jazz hands Poppy the dog and myself thanks for listening